0: plushcare.com slash weight loss
1: a couple of years ago a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize the only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood by all appearances it was an open and shut case but not in Belize where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place justice will not be in this case she's gonna get away with it or will she white devil A Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.
0: This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. It's never an easy call with so many problems in the world to know where to direct the money that you donate when you want to help out in this world. But what I can tell you is that when you donate to CAMH, you're saving lives. We know about the opioid crisis. We know about the mental health crisis. They are doing the work. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at CAMH.ca slash CanadaLand to help us treat addiction and build hope. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash Canada Land to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash Canada Land. <laughs> This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Lance Pollock, Jeff McCausland, Amy Boynton-Weiss, Brian Crockford, Catherine Yee, Neil Jenkins, Joseph Pearson, and Vanessa.
2: My name is Vanessa, and I'm from Vancouver. I'm a policy analyst, and I support Canada Land because as a longtime listener of On the Media, I always thought Canada needed a media criticism podcast, and lo and behold, I found Canada Land. Now, if only Jesse can learn to knit toques at rival Brooks. A warning for listeners, this episode contains detailed descriptions of sexual assault.
0: One of the biggest tech companies in the world is right here in Canada. This company's main website consistently ranks in the top five most popular websites in the world. Gets billions of views every year. They employ over a thousand people at their offices in Montreal. Statistically speaking, you have probably been to this website. Some of you, many times but we don't really talk about it. That's because the website that I'm talking about is Pornhub. Its parent company is MindGeek, which also owns RedTube, UPorn, Xtube, Brazzers, and many others. But all of those sites rank distantly behind Pornhub. I mean, Pornhub is not a porn site. It is the porn site. It is to online porn what YouTube is to online video. It's the default, the default destination. That makes Canada a global hub for porno, and it makes MindGeek very rich. They rake in over a half billion dollars every year. But somehow, the CEO of MindGeek, Feras Antoun, well, he somehow flew completely under the radar of the Canadian press. Whereas most tech CEOs become rock stars, they become famous, this guy, before last December, his name, had not appeared once in the pages of the Globe and Mail. In fact, it seems that he was hiding from attention. If you searched for the name Ferres Antun, you would get pictures of someone else who research would reveal is not named Ferres Antun. Somebody meticulously created fake profiles that seemed to have been purposely set up to shield the real Ferres Antun from scrutiny. And this was not just MindGeek's CEO. It seemed that nobody wanted to be the name or the face of Pornhub. In the rare occasion where they would issue a press release, it was attributed to a fictional person. Person does not exist. So for a long time, during many years of MindGeek's ascent, they didn't seem to want to be noticed, and almost all of Canadian media seemed pretty content to not notice them. Well, that all changed last December. This was not because of the Canadian media, even though there were some paying attention, most notably the logic. No, it was the New York Times that ran an incendiary piece by one of their better-known columnists, Nicholas Kristof. It was titled, The Children of Pornhub. This article did not just call out Pornhub. It called out Canada. Right below the headline, it asked the question, why does Canada allow this company to profit off videos of exploitation and assault? The New York Times described Pornhub as a business that somehow was allowed to profit from thousands of child porn and rape videos. It centered on a teenager, Serena Fletes, who went public about a harrowing experience from when she was just 14 of having her nude video shared without her consent. For hundreds of thousands of New York Times readers, this article said it all. It was coming from the most respected masthead, and it told undeniably, horrific stories of young women who not only suffered abuse and trauma, but whose moments of trauma lived on forever, on Pornhub, unremovable, turning their lives into total nightmares. And the Trudeau government snapped to action. As the Toronto Star put it, his cabinet was sent scrambling for a response.
3: Yesterday, the justice minister said, quote, we expect law enforcement to enforce Canada's laws. But a Canadian-based website has videos and images of children being exploited, abused and raped. So does the Minister for Public Safety think this is a so-called gap that needs to be fixed right now?
4: The minister
0: of Public... Both the Conservatives and the NDP found common ground in this sudden urgency to deal with the porn hub problem. And so a parliamentary committee, the Ethics Committee, was struck to get to the bottom of what has really been going on with MindGeek. This meeting is, is now back to order. Pursuant to the motion adopted by this committee on
1: Friday, December the 11th, 2020, the committee is resuming its study on the protection of privacy and reputation on platforms such as Pornhub. Today, uh...
0: They heard from the victims first. This is Serena Flytes, the young woman from the New York Times article, testifying to Parliament.
5: And one night, this is during the last semester of my seventh grade year, the boy I was dating at the time, he asked me to send him a video of myself. And I didn't really understand what he meant at first. So he had sent me a video from Pornhub of a girl undressing herself and just basically showing herself off to the camera. And he asked me to do that and I told him I wasn't really comfortable. So he continued to ask me every night after we got back from school. He, because I, I had gotten my first iPod at this point, and I'd gotten a messenger app on it called Kick to talk to people at school. And if we're really in a relationship, if you truly love me, then you'd send me something like that. After a couple weeks of it, he was like, "Fine then." And so I took a quick little video, like a minute long and I sent it to him. And then about a week and a half, two weeks after I'd first sent it, that was when I found out that it had been sent around to most of the school. And so it went around the entire school and all the neighboring schools. And then during the summer break before eighth grade, um, we moved, so I thought, you know, okay, things would be better. But when I started at the new school, after about two weeks of being there, somebody who had made an anonymous account sent me a link through Kick, and it was the video that I had sent to my ex-boyfriend, and it had been posted on Pornhub with the caption, 13-year-old brunette shows off for the camera. Um, and so after that, I started ditching school a lot, started getting really depressed, um, started getting into drug use. When like the videos were first uploaded online and I didn't want to tell my mom about them, um, and then I pretended to be my mom. They would say like, oh, well it's not actually you in the video. So to provide proof that that's your daughter and that she's underage, you're gonna have to provide like, um, basically like pictures of me next to some sort of identification and like they would ask for all these different things. Even after I would send one picture next to whatever identification they would ask for, they would ask for another picture next to a different identification, and so on and so forth. Just dragging out the process so long, even though it was very obvious it was a child in the video. They didn't want to take the video down because it had at that point millions of views. And it was bringing them in ad revenue and clicks to their site. It would be at the top of Google for the searches.
0: What Test was getting at is how Pornhub and many tube sites are driven by user uploaded content. People watch that content and their views are then automatically monetized against advertising. The safety mechanisms on Pornhub and other sites, which rely on content to be flagged by users and reviewed by MindGeek employees, well, those mechanisms came under scrutiny. The Ethics Committee also heard from a lawyer of the law firm Brown Rudnick, which has been investigating Pornhub and MindGeek for over a year. My name is Michael Bowie. I'm a partner at the law firm of Brown Rudnick. He went into some detail with parliamentarians on this issue, and we're going to let this tape roll for a while because a lot of the legal and technical issues involved get explored and explained here.
6: A 16-year-old girl who was trafficked by two American men who filmed the sexual acts as part of the trafficking... In fact, that was what she was offered for, and those were posted to Pornhub. Videos were monetized on Pornhub. She reported the incident, but the videos were not taken down for an extended period of time. An underage girl attempted suicide multiple times and turned to drugs after videos were posted on Pornhub. Prior to tube sites, the pornography industry did a, had a policing mechanism. There were statutes. We have 2257 in the States. It requires anyone who's going to produce pornographic material they have written consents that say they, they verified the age and this stuff is consensual. If you were going to distribute it, if you were going to sell it, if you were going to stream it on the Acme Hotel Company Entertainment Center, um, if you were going to put it on a cable channel, everything you were going to distribute had to have that disclosure on it that, in fact, those rules had been complied with. And that system worked relatively well. wasn't perfect. But it worked. Then you have the, the, the fact that the core of their business is search engine optimization. In fact, if you go to MindGeek's website, you would not know that it is the largest internet pornography company in the world. You would think it is a tech company. That is how it describes itself. It describes itself as an expert in search engine optimization, meaning knowing what's on its site, selling advertising to people who want access to those users, selling it smartly, selling it profitably selling the data back to those people from that product. There is essentially a stonewall over the years when someone would raise a complaint. To say it was non-responsive does not accurately characterize it. It was hostile, it was discouraging, it was designed to make people go away. The comments sections on many of these videos where people explicitly are saying, this is obviously rape, where you have a woman who is clearly passed out drunk, where the person videotaping is opening her eye and poking her in the eye. When a person uploads to Pornhub, perhaps lawyers could argue that Pornhub is just receiving the information. But there's an argument. That's why legislators could probably should probably update that law. So this entire industry, one of the members asked, what about the process? I've been a lawyer for 30 years. I have never seen a situation where there was So much disregard and indifference to what was obviously child pornography, rape, trafficking content, illegal content on this site. So there was no process. And that's why this issue of gaslighting is so important to me. This entire year, if you were simply listening to their public pronouncements of MindGeek of its agents that are in its sort of network of performers and otherwise of its allies in the industry, you would think they have all this process and they have all this technology and that this stuff just, you know, mistakes were made. Mm. And I'm telling you that when we're done and the proof comes out, and if you're able to sort of go and do the type of investigation we've done, you will just find out that is a bunch of BS. You were dealing with a rogue... Company. You're dealing with a rogue company who you don't know who owns it. I don't know who owns it. No one really knows who owns it. Its behavior here is completely out of bounds. It's, it's, it's just in a different universe of the way even bad
0: mainstream corporate citizens work. Finally, at the end of this committee's process, the two mysterious executives of MindGeek, CEO Ferris Antoon, and COO David Tassillo, were both called to testify before Parliament. The Globe and Mail reported that this was their first appearance in a public setting ever. And Toon began by telling Parliament that he is just as disturbed by child sexual abuse material, or CSAM, as everybody else, and that, in fact, MindGeek plays a leading role in fighting child abuse
4: online. I want to be clear to every member of this Honourable Committee and to the Canadian public. Even a single unlawful or non-consensual image on MindGeeks platforms is one too many. Full stop. We are fathers and husbands. We have over 1,800 employees with families and loved ones. We are devastated by what the victims of these heinous acts have gone through. I want to emphasize that this type of material has no place on our platform and is contrary to our values and our business model. We are sickened when anyone attempts to abuse our platforms to further their violence. Running one of the world's most visited websites is a responsibility that we do not take lightly. The spread of non-consensual content is a massive challenge facing all social media platforms. We have been leading this fight by being more vigilant in our moderation than almost any other platform both within and outside the adult
0: space. But MPs were not buying it, and several of them took turns excoriating Antoon. Block MP Marie-Hélène Godreau asked him, point blank, how can you sleep at night? Liberal MP Nathaniel Erskine-Smith challenged MindGeek's claims that they moderate rigorously for abusive content. Citing a Globe and Mail investigation in which former MindGeek employees said that they were actually encouraged to overlook harmful content.
2: Thanks very much. Uh, Mr. Antoon, are you familiar with a recent article in the Globe and Mail lifting the veil of secrecy on MindGeek's online pornography empire? There's there's no secrecy about MindGeek.
4: No, no, no. Are you aware of the article? Uh, I think I read it quickly, but there's so many lately.
2: Okay, so in, in reading that article, did anything stand out to you?
4: Um, I mean, media articles are not facts, it's journalists writing whatever they want.
2: Well, in this case, a journalist isn't writing whatever he wants, he's actually reporting on something that two individuals who worked for MindGeek and PornHub had told him. Did, did you read that section?
4: Um, I don't recall. You can remind me if you want.
2: Well, if I was a CEO of a company and I was very concerned about any single instance of harmful content on my platform, I might have taken this a little bit more seriously because in that article... It was reported that employees flagged content so egregious occasionally they recommended contacting the police but two former formatters said they were discouraged by managers from doing so and one was told not to bother, since uploaders are typically anonymous and unlikely to be identifiable. Does that cause you any concern?
4: So that's a perfect example of journalists not understanding who they're interviewing. Formatters do not report to the police. Foreign managers do not review the content for, as David just explained many times.
2: No, they flagged moderates. content. They flagged content. So egregious, they recommended contacting the police. And manager said, we shouldn't do that. That, that doesn't is, concern uh, you in any way whatsoever?
0: It's completely unfactual. Last month, the Ethics Committee released its report with 14 recommendations, including ones that call for Canada to explore ways to hold online platforms liable for child sexual abuse or any non-consensual content, as well as to mandate that these sites require affirmation from everybody depicted in videos, that they are all over 18 and that they all consent to what happens in those videos. As far as parliamentary committee reports go, uh, this was strong stuff. But policy moves slowly, and these recommendations are all non-binding the rest of the world moves a lot quicker. And months before this report came out, Pornhub completely changed their websites. In the days and weeks following the New York Times bombshell story, Pornhub banned all unverified users from uploading content, resulting in the deletion of millions of videos. This was likely a preemptive measure, but it was too late because Visa and MasterCard announced a few days later that they would no longer be processing payments from Pornhub. A class-action lawsuit was launched here in Canada against Pornhub by two people who say that they are survivors of abuse by the website. And a Republican lawmaker in Texas announced that he's pushing for a full criminal investigation into MindGeek. And there's something else that's been going on. An angry and spreading public backlash against Pornhub and MindGeek that it seems culminated in an act of arson,
4: a new home being built by one of the executives of the company that owns Pornhub has been the target of arson. Two people were spotted breaking into the site shortly before the fire began.
1: Diane Bassiano says it looked like a forest
0: fire. The inferno was shocking.
6: I saw raining fire from my house.
0: When we went- Somebody burned down Ferris Antoun's house. His $19 million Montreal mansion was torched to the ground. Nobody was hurt. You might not have heard about that. There is not a lot of sympathy out there for Ferris and Toon or for Pornhub. Maybe that's okay. They do not have a lot of defenders out there. Maybe they don't deserve them. But there is one group of people who got hurt in all of this who we have not heard much from. For a moment, it looked like they weren't even going to get to speak to the Ethics Committee, even though they have been pushing for the attention of legislators and for legislative reforms for years on these very issues. I'm speaking about sex workers and the groups that advocate for them. They were reluctantly given a forum at committee where, if you watch this stuff, they were met with open hostility and dismissiveness from some members of parliament.
2: I move that
5: in furtherance of the study of the protection of privacy and reputation on platforms such as Pornhub, that the committee hear from further witnesses at its next scheduled meeting for a minimum of two hours.
3: Well, we brought witnesses to testify, and Madame Shanahan says, thanks for coming. Now we're going to cut you off so we can talk about witnesses we don't know that may come. Uh, I think it's incredibly rude to the witnesses we have, and I think... Uh, Madame Shanahan shouldn't be interrupting their opportunity to speak to our committee by throwing this wrench at us.
0: There was this disconnect through the rushed proceedings. The MPs did not seem to understand what do sex workers have to do with what they were there for, their crusade to protect innocent women and children. Sandra Wesley, who is the director of a Montreal-based sex workers advocacy group called Stella, she said that she first had her request to speak rejected. And when she finally was invited, her time was cut short. So we invited her onto this show to say her piece and to talk about this with me, and to talk about how MindGeek's attempts at safety, in her view, actually put sex workers at risk. In fact, she asserts that sex workers will die because of this. I'm gonna talk to her about that, but before we get there, Sandra Wesley is going to help me understand the roots of all of this. Where did this sudden moral panic, as she calls it, over pornography, originate? I'll be back with her in a moment. Wait for it. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp At BetterHelp.com/CanadaLand. That's BetterH.E.L.P.com/CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. We hear a lot about the opioid crisis. We talk a lot about the mental health crisis. These are serious problems. These problems affect us all. They've affected my life and my community. They're not intractable problems. I don't know what's going to solve them on a policy level, but day-to-day helping people, that's what CAMH does. They do it on the ground when people need help, and they do it through research. The team at CAMH gave our team a tour of their facilities, and we were really just blown away by the incredible, heroic work that they're doing every day. They treat everyone with dignity, and their research is seeking and finding real solutions for everyone around the world. Help Change Mental Health Care Care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at camh.ca/canadaland to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. Sandra, I watched your testimony to Parliament and it was very dramatic. One thing that you told Parliament was that they are harming sex workers and that any further repressive measures against sex workers will absolutely kill many of us, is what you said. Can you explain that?
3: Uh, Yes. So the current um, hysteria around pornography, uh, which is related also to other panics around human trafficking and sexual exploitation of minors and all these other things, they all come from the same anti sex work movement that is comprised of very conservative, very religious extremists who ultimately want to ban all sex outside of a Christian heterosexual marriage, and I've found that targeting the sex industry is an effective way to get the public on board with some of the actions that they want to take. And the other half of that movement is an offshoot of the feminist movement, which is uh, based in a hatred of sex workers, a hatred of trans women, and a desire to use criminal law and police repression to eradicate sex work. So they've come together in the past uh, several years, the past several decades, to find every possible way to eradicate sex workers. So fundamentally, these are people who despise us, who believe we are a threat to society for various reasons. And so what they're proposing now in terms of responding to the crisis that they manufactured around Pornhub are all things that aim to eradicate the sex industry altogether. For one, we become poor, we become more precarious in our living and working conditions, uh, and it creates a lot of opportunities for people to exploit us, uh, to have bad working conditions to experience various types of violence. Um, Another thing that happens is that every violent person out there, every aggressor in this country, hears loud and clear the message from the government of Canada, which is, we hate sex workers too and we want to get rid of them. And that gives them permission to target us and it gives them a sense of impunity. It's pretty rare that when the government tries to take away our jobs that we just stop doing sex work we just end up doing sex work in unsafe or in bad working conditions
0: Sandra i want to unpack that with you piece by piece because i think that to people who just heard testimony from victims like like uh, Serena Fletes who are describing a very different type of very dire sounding situation and i think that to explain this larger movement that is anti-sex worker that wants to abolish pornography and sex work. We need to explain the media side of this because I know that this has been going on for many decades, the war against porn and efforts against sex work. But I think that this most recent chapter of the story did begin with an article in the New York Times by Nicholas Kristof.
3: Indeed, yes. And in order to frame this New York Times article that was published in December of 2020, we need to actually go back to the 60s and 70s when a group of religious extremists in the United States founded an organization called Morality in Media. And I think a lot of people remember those from our childhoods. They were the people boycotting Disney, boycotting Madonna, boycotting everything that had any sort of sexual content. In the early 90s, they even tried to shut down the endowment for the arts the United States because they were afraid that some artists might receive grants to do sexual art. Uh, They're against sexual education. So they're a very extremist group and they've been around for a long time. And about five years ago, seeing the resistance also and the fact that their campaigns are not working, the public is not buying this whole idea of we need to ban sexual content from our society. So they rebranded. They became the National Center on Sexual Exploitation. They realized by just looking at the media landscape that no one wants to hear about banning sexual education, but everyone wants to hear about horror stories that involve sex work. This was in the wake of the shutdown of Backpage uh, and it led to a lot of shutdowns of other websites. And so those groups, along with another group named Exodus Cry, which is a religious Christian group that is anti-gay primarily. They started out as just being anti-gay and then they added to that a hatred for trans people and a hatred for sex workers because that's where they actually get a political response. And so they started a campaign where they looked at who's the biggest porn website Pornhub is the target that they chose and the fact that Pornhub is based in Canada was very interesting to them because they were able to pass legislation SESTA and FOSTA in the the United States which was sort of a step one to eroding the right to use the internet the way we use it now. Not just for sex workers but for everyone. They thought that maybe if Canada starts banning pornography it would look like a feminist thing, it would look like a progressive thing and that would have an effect that it would cause other countries to do the same. So they created this campaign and they went to uh, Nicholas Kristof, who's a journalist who has a long history of exploiting sexual violence for his own career and of telling false stories of human trafficking. So a few years ago, he published a big story um, about a woman who had allegedly been trafficked into sex work, had been able to escape uh, and was now helping thousands of survivors of human trafficking very quickly. That led to campaigns that raised a lot of money for this woman. And very quickly after that, it was discovered that the entire story was entirely false, completely made up. And any serious journalist would have been able to see through that story. So this is the person that they chose to push this story. So Nicholas Kristof got this story from uh, Morality and Media and from Exodus Cry and then published it according to their specifications in a way that obviously was very sensational and brought a lot of attention. And this is something that we see from journalists in Canada as well. As a sex worker organization, we get calls all the time from journalists who want interviews, who, who are working on documentaries, or are working on all kinds of projects. And we always hear the same thing from them. Their bosses want sensational human trafficking stories. Their bosses want stories of violence against sex workers that are portrayed in a certain way. They're not interested in nuance.
0: Well, you call for nuance in the media. I, I need to introduce some nuance to some of the things that you just said. And some of that is to confirm what you were saying and what has been documented by the Daily Beast, which is that a group called Exodus Cry, which is a evangelical Christian group, which is an offshoot of the International House of Prayer, a Missouri-based church, which is explicitly anti-gay, which uh, is explicitly anti-Semitic. Uh, its founders said that Hitler was sent to punish the Jews, that Oprah Winfrey is a foot servant to the Antichrist, really out there stuff. They are connected to Exodus cry as daily beast has documented, even though they deny it and Exodus cry funds trafficking hub. And what you do see along the way is that the messaging gets cleaned up and all references to prayer and Christianity and fundamentalism and all references to eradicating pornography and sex work, which at one point is an explicit objective. All of those things get whittled away. And what you end up with is a very media polished, Message that it's just about advocating for the victims of trafficking, which is definitely a more palatable message that ultimately did find its way into a Nicholas Christoph column. Where I am going to push back against what you said is that I feel like maybe we could call this a matter of your opinion, but the idea that he's only doing this for his own career and that I guess is a subjective take. That he did this to the specifications of Trafficking Hub is something that I'm not aware of uh, being true. And, uh, you know, I think that when you point to previous stories that he reported that turned out to be fake, I don't want people to get the idea that that means – that Serena Flaitas, that that story is fake or that some of the other people who testified, who are quoted in Nicholas Kristoff's coverage or who testified to Canadian Parliament's ethics committee, I don't believe that you're suggesting that their stories are fake. Is that accurate?
3: Uh, No, not at all. I obviously don't have any knowledge of the specifics of the stories that are being brought to us. But as I've mentioned, our real stories of violence get used against us. And a common tactic of groups that want to eradicate sex work and it is clear on the Exodus Cry website as of last month, they make it clear that they want to eradicate sex work and pornography. So they will usually find someone who has a very dramatic, very painful story and have this person simply show up to tell that story of violence and then they will package that story with their demands for policy that aren't necessarily shared always by the people who are telling their stories. Usually they're not really asked what they believe should be the policy change and what we're seeing also. So when it comes to this this Pornhub uh, story specifically, is that we're hearing stories of horrific violence that have very little to do with pornography, with online pornography, or even with Pornhub specifically, where we're told stories of rape, of people being filmed without their consent, of revenge porn, of gang rapes, of all those things. Uh, And then we're focusing on the fact that somehow that video landed on Pornhub, instead of focusing on the fact that this woman experienced all this violence
0: I do know, and I think when you look at these stories of these uh, horrific series of crimes, uh, my mind goes there as well. It's like, well, there was a crime. We have privacy laws. We have laws and specific laws in Canada about non-consensual sharing of intimate images. We have specific child porn laws. We have, of course, rape is a crime, is a criminal offense in Canada. There's all these steps at which crimes were committed. So I take your point very well, but I also hear the other point. And I think it's a point that MP Charlie Angus made to you, which I recall him asking... Look, sure, I'm hearing all this stuff about this vast conspiracy of right-wing sites, and I'm also hearing some pretty legitimate concerns about sex worker rights, but we're here to help Serena Flight Test and people like her get their videos off of Pornhub. So that is a link in the chain. And, you know, to your point, Visa is also a link in the chain. We don't hear people trying to describe Visa or other companies or even the internet service provider who sells access to the internet like, oh, they're a child trafficking company. Let's boycott them. But I want to actually just address this one concern because I think that, I can understand the point of view of Charlie Angus or many others who say, look, I don't even care where this campaign began or if they're anti-porn or anti-sex worker. I'm not. I'm just here to help people like this young woman get their videos off Pornhub. So there are a lot of other issues that I know that you've been struggling to get audience for and people don't want to talk about them until something like this happens. But let's deal with this specific concern because I think it's as legitimate as a lot of other concerns. What is your position on what should happen when someone— has a video on one of these websites and they're having trouble getting it taken down?
3: Okay, so there are two things here. So for one, um, obviously all websites that, have any sort of user-generated content need to do a lot better at responding to inquiries from people that are using those websites. That means taking down videos that are uploaded without consent. It also means for things like Facebook, when things are taken down by Facebook, having someone to talk to to get it reinstated. uh, There's a big problem of these massive websites that have these huge amounts of data being uploaded by users who just don't have the customer service capacity to respond quickly to all inquiries. And so we need that to be improved. Absolutely, for sure. I do not think that this is an improvement through legislation. And if there is a need for legislation, it cannot be targeted to porn websites. This is an issue with every single platform that has any type of user-generated content. Um, And the solutions being proposed are not solutions that would lead to that. They're actually preemptive control of sex workers in order to make it essentially impossible for sex workers to produce content and to Performing content without having our full names and address put out into the public record or having to jump through some other hoops that are impossible to jump through for smaller companies, for example.
0: I think people need to understand what that means because, again, these companies will not wait for the law when they see and and, and Pornhub very quickly after the New York Times piece, they moved to just basically eliminate the easy access for anyone to upload a porn video, only verified accounts. And if I understand your point correctly, a verified account has to be registered to a person under their legal name. That's easy for a big porn company to do. But for a sex worker who is working pseudonymously, that would require them to expose their name in order to be a verified content provider to Pornhub. And I have to imagine the thousands of them were wiped out in that purge of of accounts.
3: Yes. In the purging of videos, a lot of videos were deleted and a lot of people lost their source of advertisement of income, lost videos that were not necessarily saved elsewhere. Um, so years of labor were lost for a lot of women who use that platform to make a living. And at the same time, when Visa and MasterCard suspended their collaboration with Pornhub, well, then a lot of women just simply lost their money, their income overnight. And that is very dramatic. And in terms of consequences on people's lives and harm. Having workers who usually have no other labor protections, no access to unemployment or anything of the sort, lose all of their income overnight is very catastrophic. It causes so much harm. It forces people to do other things that they don't necessarily want to do. It pushes people into homelessness, into poverty. And that's very dramatic. But the changes that are being proposed by a lot of the people who testified in front of that parliamentary committee and by other people, including politicians, include things such as whenever anyone films or produces porn, that they have to put everyone's name and consent into a registry, which might be handled by the government. And we know that while there's big companies like Pornhub, there's a lot of very small companies. A lot of women that we work with produce porn in their own bedroom with just their own webcam and don't have a big production company. They don't have the money and the lawyers required to hold a registry. And when there's a requirement, for example, for the producer, producers of a porn company to have their name and address in a registry, well, then that means that if she's an independent person working out of her home, then her legal name and her address then become out in the public. And we have stories of sex workers who've end up in situations where things like that have happened. And they've had stalkers show up to their house. They've had break-ins. They've had violence occur to them by people who found where they live and found their identity. I think that there is no chance of anything positive ever coming out of a desire to eradicate the sex industry. And if people who hate sex workers, who hate women, who would like to see us all gone, those are people who hate us. Their objectives are not our safety. I want
0: to drill down on one technical point, which is really just about how to fix a, a problem with a website. We have Pornhub version 1.0 where everybody can upload everything anonymously. So that was something that existed. The immediate response of Pornhub when this finally became a huge international issue was to eliminate anonymous uploading And only verified accounts can upload. You have identified that that now endangers sex workers by forcing them to use real names or other proposals that involve them putting their addresses or names are kind of a non-starter for many people and endangers them. But where does that leave us? What is then the technical solution for both of these legitimate concerns?
3: I think that part of it is really a better technology so that when something is reported, it can be taken down much, much faster.
0: I do detect a problem with what you propose because even if hundreds of millions of dollars of revenue a year, Pornhub site were to dedicate itself to a technological solution for getting videos down faster as you propose, as long as someone can anonymously upload a video for the purpose of humiliating someone, they can immediately let that person's boss or family know about it. Those might be the first person to see the video. The damage is done. That person's life is impacted quite negatively. And then as soon as there's a complaint, the video comes down. Well, the damage has been done. It does seem like some system of verification at a minimum means that if there is abuse and non-consensual material is shared, you actually have recourse. There is someone who exists in the world who you can go to and say uh, you've committed a crime. Wouldn't there be a system of encryption, That would allow people to get verified accounts that are – but without – publicly disclosing their names or addresses?
3: Maybe, you know, technology has, you know, very few limits and things can be developed. Uh, but we also need to think about our standard as a society. You know, everyone can commit a crime at any moment and we don't have safeguards everywhere in society to, to prevent the possibility to create a crime or to be able to track everyone. You know, uh, someone can be walking down the street and punch some random person on the street and we're not going to institute a checkpoint where we register who walks on every street at all times because that would violate people's rights. So I think whatever we do, we need to actually go back to the charter and have a serious conversation about how far we're willing to take this and why for this specifically, While we have thousands uh, of women who are victims of domestic violence who can't even get a protection order for their exes not to target them, and we're choosing as a society that we don't think we need to infringe on the rights of these violent men in too cumbersome a way, but for this relatively rare incident of non-consensual videos being uploaded, we're going to deploy all of this and cause all this other harm. We need to check where we're coming from, and that goes back to then this much, much, much bigger conversation. conversation about what do we expect from the criminal justice system? Is this a system that works for anyone? And we can't just take a few examples of violence and then try to legislate entire industries based on it, when ultimately what we have is a, a criminal code that is not working for anyone, that is not designed to respond to sexual violence or physical violence at all. And that doesn't actually do anything to prevent and stop those crimes from being committed.
0: That is your Canada Land for this week. If you like it, please support it. We are on Twitter at Canada Land. You can email me. I'm at jesse at and I read everything that you send. This episode was produced by Tristan Capiccione, Cherise Sucharin and Damalola Oname. Theme music is by So Called. Syndication is by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. If you like what we do on this show and at our company, and if you want to receive ad-free versions of all of our podcasts, please support us by hitting the link in the show notes. It's really easy. Or go to CanadaLand.com slash join. for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join and thank you.
1: A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's going to get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.